previously on Wild Endeavors. In hopes of escaping the cursed Karsaro Valley, the party set their sights on the feared and eponymous family's keep. After many dead ends, they found someone willing to help them, if they proved they were serious. To do so, the party must complete two tasks. The remaining companions are just pulling themselves out of the bloodbath of the first task, when they find themselves surrounded by figures in the mist. For a recap of the campaign so far, please check out the Season 1 and Season 2 recap episodes. This is the third and final season of the Shadows campaign, featuring Amy Jostino as the tiefling thief Calico Bane. I will get more poisons for next time, so I will just stab them normally now because... Blah. Adam Rogers as the human fighter Hans Greger. Use my sword to, like, kind of try to stab one, you know, through its abdomen and use my other hand to try to push the other one off, kind of at the same time, badass style. Devin Salisbury as the human gunfighter Quintus Arias. Forefathers give me strength and, like, kind of clench my fist and lined up the shot. Evan Chamberlain as the formerly alive elven wizard Leandros Lubicar. Uh, Calico, can you kill this thing? Okay, that's all I need. I'm going to do it. And I'm Thomas Marsetti, your DM, and virtually every single other person on the face of Aria. And now, Chapter 23, Boone and Bane. interlude. Under the twisted limbs of the dark wood, Whisper, who was once called Caranilo, looks up as if expecting the ever-dark sky to change. A roaring bonfire dances glintingly in her eyes, and in a single tear that rolls down her face. The rest of her is hidden in a dark, nebulous cloak that occasionally seems to reach out and become one with the shifting shadows around her. Damn you, Fen. I don't know if I can do this without you. The words escape so softly from her lips they are drowned by the crackling of the fire. With a single smooth motion, her hand emerges from the depths of her cloak, wipes the tear from her face, and then rests on her chin. So smooth is the motion, even in a brightly lit room, observers might miss the tear wipe and see only the tick of someone deep in thought. You may approach, she says, this time louder. A figure emerges silently from the dark, a lean dwarf in a shadow-grabbing cloak similar to Whispers. He seems only a little perturbed that she sensed his presence. He approaches and produces a long, narrow bundle from under his cloak. He extends it to her, careful not to let the cloth unravel. We found it. It was right where you said it would be. He pauses as Whisper takes the bundle, then decides to risk the question. How did you know it was going to be there? For a moment, she looks like she is lost in thought and won't answer him as she considers the bundle. Then absent-mindedly, she says, My brother told me. She carefully unwraps the cloth, revealing a wickedly curved sword that seems to radiate rather than reflect the firelight. The blade, wrought with grotesquely bent people along the hilt, had belonged to her brother. He had taken it from a demon, and she could feel it hum with life in her hands. 
What is it, your brother? The dwarf's question is cut off by his own gurgling. Her slash was too fast for him to see in the darkness of the wood, but the blood dripping from her new blade and the gush of warmth cascading from his throat tells the story. The dwarf drops to his knees, grasping futilely at his neck, trying to hold the life inside his ruined throat. The firelight sways in his frantic, bulging eyes. Raising the sword appraisingly, Whisper watches as the blade absorbs the blood on it, sucking it in like a ravenous sponge. She cocks her head a bit as the imperceptible hum of the sword changes ever so slightly. As the dwarf falls lifelessly forward, Whisper nods as if in response to a voice that only she can hear. You crave souls, she says to the demon blade. I have a very special one in mind for you. Then again, looking up through a small gap in the canopy of trees to the lightless sky, she whispers, Well, brother, maybe you did help me after all. She slides the new blade into her sword belt opposite the two black steel scimitars hanging on her left hip. Resettling her cloak, she turns and disappears completely into the shadows, her cloak eagerly melding into their inky depths. Other than the crackling of the fire, the clearing is silent, as if even the dark creatures in this damned forest are paying their respects to Theron Nilo as his body burns on the funeral pyre. Dewey grass below, and a black, starless sky above, greet August Israel when he awakes. He sits up and takes a slow look around the empty field. He doesn't recognize any landmarks, but usually when he's been reincorporated, he's appeared near enough to Charwood and his home. Home. By the gods, it will be good to see Cornelius after such an ordeal. What they had done to him this time was going to stick with him for quite a while. He imagined it would be some time before he could close his eyes and not see those flaying knives and red-hot brands. August brushes the dirt and grass off himself as best he can and sets out, his short halfling legs beating a steady pace. Some kind of internal compass serves him well, and he is soon on the ridge road. This way used to lead out of Carsaro Vale. Now it only leads to the edge of the shadows, or to Charwood. A couple hours later, when August walks into Charwood... He is taken aback slightly by the strange looks his neighbors are giving him. He had grown accustomed to rarely getting a warm welcome. After all, it was well known that he and Cornelius were not interested in the blood-for-the-blind-god stuff that the rest of the town was into. But this was different somehow. The dour faces seemed almost... not quite pitying, but far more neutral than usual. As he approached his home, he began to worry. A large patch of burned grass sat near the little cottage he shared with his partner, and char marks seemed to climb their way out of the broken windows. He guessed what he would find when he opened the door, but it didn't stop his stomach from dropping when he saw the burned corpse of his husband. Someone had at least laid down a blanket and taken the time to try and position him respectfully. August cried for a bit and stroked Cornelius's burned head, but there aren't many extra tears in Sorrowmore. Soon August stood put a kettle of water on the stove. He then picked up one of the dining room chairs that had been thrown aside in whatever chaos had taken place in this house, and settled in. Like so many times before, he settled in to wait for his husband to return from the dead. Constable Castabel Turner sighed their way into the small, one-bedroom home. By Havenwood standards, it was barely a house. But they loved the exposed log walls and the way that one small cooking fire was all it took to make the entire place cozy. 
They lit a lantern on the table in the kitchen living room area, and then undid their gun belt and hung it on a peg near the door into the bedroom. Castabel winced as they limped over to the bed and sat. It was one of those days where everything hurt, and their lame leg always seemed to act up when there was an abundance of assholes to deal with. Those last drunken assholes had been the final straw for today, dueling each other in the street and reincorporating right there to continue fighting after they died. At least that young man had stepped in to help out. As Castabel undressed and began to undo their chest binding, they considered that was at least one upshot to an otherwise shitty day. The young man was eager to help, and an arrangement had been made for him to be deputized and give Castabel a hand on a daily basis. It was a good enough turn of events that Castabel hadn't stopped much to think of how strange it was that they had never seen the young man before. Then again, there seemed to have been a lot more strangers in these parts lately. Word on the streets was that the secretive fellow up in Carsaro Keep had something to do with it, though that might be just gossip mixing. People love to gossip, and a favorite of these times is the Carsaro guest, who calls themselves the master. As Castabel massaged the aching muscles that were just now getting some relief from being released from the binding, they thought about the Carsaros and those drunk assholes who were so rich they could throw bodies around like they were nothing. People like Castabel, normal people, had what they had. And not that Castabel had a death wish by any means, but a constable's job is dangerous, and they did sometimes daydream of getting into a new body, one that fit them a little better. But then they would remember on a constable's pay the options would be limited. After all, it's not like the last time they died, they went to Zebulon and asked specifically for a half-lame female body. In Sauromor, it was all most people could do just to stay alive a while, hope your death wasn't too brutal, and try to have a decent body to come back to. cool, crisp air of the starless sky is a welcome relief. You take a few deep breaths, enjoying that you no longer are overwhelmed by the smell of fetid, rotting meat. You are starting to get the hang of guessing the time in the perpetual darkness of Sauromor. It is probably evening. Outside the veil, purple light is stealing across the land, lengthening shadows as it goes. Here, a low fog is beginning to roll across the plains and into town. Not so long ago, it probably would have unnerved you a little to be standing in the yard of an abandoned church filled with mutilated bodies while a fog rolled into the ghost town around you. Now, though, maybe you don't even notice. What you do notice, however, is a figure walking slowly in the fog. It is humanoid. It approaches in an unhurried, unworried manner. It stops just outside the churchyard. Just enough fog clings to it to keep you from being able to make out any details or features. Then another figure appears in the fog near the first, also slowly walking, making no attempt to hide. It walks up about as far as the first and stops, just far enough away to stay obscured. Then another appears, and another, and another, and another all humanoid figures walking slowly until they form a ring at the edge of the churchyard. They appear to have you surrounded. I pull my gun and just kind of yeah, crack yeah. my neck, and I'm like, well, what's happening here, guys? And then I'll shout out to the group, who goes there? 
Hans feels like the gloves are like superpower type thing, so he's kind of like holding his hands out. <laughs> I say, well, you've always known how to make an entrance, except this time it almost got you shot. And then I look at Hans and Quinn and say, put down your weapons. These are our reinforcements. You hear a laugh come out of the mist. <laughs> Just <laughs> didn't didn't I tell you we were coming? And one of the figures steps forward. The details finally come in focus as it comes out of the fog. It's a halfling. He's wearing black boots, polished to like a ridiculous shine. His trousers look like they're velvet and they're striped in like a gaudy yellow and purple combination. He's wearing a matching like purple velvet vest. He has a top hat and a big old hammy grin on his face. It is Shark and Silvermane. And he has with him 20 members of the clasp. I give him a... I roll and uh, you know you didn't, I know you didn't look, and then kind of chuckle, um, and her f- and Calico's face softens. And I say, I'm definitely happy to see you, though. We've been through a lot here. We've already lost a few of our party members, and I fear this may, this place may be the death of all of us. I just want to be sure we take care of the silence before they have a chance to take care of us, or we get trapped here. None of those are good options. Right down to business, I see. I like that. The rest of the class like kind of moves into the area. A couple of them like spread back out and like to do patrols, kind of make sure nobody sneaks up on them. A few more like move into the chapel, do their own like clearing of it. Then Sharkin walks over to your group. He's got a couple of other people with him. As he comes closer, says, "You know, Calico. Oh, so good to see you. It's uh, I'm so happy to hear about all the success you've had here. I actually uh, I have a little bit of a surprise for you as well." And he motions to one of the people behind him who steps forward. Evan, do you want to tell us what they see? Uh, a tall, slender, hooded figure come up, removes his hood, and you see these two horns like sticking straight up. Um, you see this pale blue tiefling with these dark red eyes. Not necessarily like haunted, but you definitely see somebody who's aged beyond their, their own age. And he just kind of like looks up. Well, it's been a long time. Hello, sister. And I'm just going to stay there in shock for a second. And then look at Sharkin and be like, what are you doing? Didn't I tell you that I was bringing him? Uh, nope, you did not. He's, uh, he's proved himself very uh, effective in, in the past year or so. Uh, as, I've been, as I've been told, um, he's been working with our, our group in Barathus. And uh, I'm sure that you have plenty to catch up on. Uh, yes, uh... I'm so sorry. Just, uh, I'm uh, nervous. Yeah, I um, you know, I, I, I um, maybe we should talk in private, but I, I don't. Um, I'm better now. Are you? I am better now. Okay. Um, I think for for right now we need to stay with stay with the group, and then we'll. Uh... I mean, I mean, are are you sure? I mean, I I, mean, I don't mind. That's okay. Oh, okay. Okay. If, we'll, I mean, if we'll talk about that. We'll sort that out when we return home. For now. Okay. Okay focus on. I, I trust you. I mean, it's been a long time, but I hear so many great things about you. Sharkin just talks about you nonstop, and uh, I just, you know, I want to I wanna um, live up to your name, you know? I'm sure you will. But she's just, like, freaking out a little bit in her head. Like, sure. <laughs> making sense of things. Sharkin kind of sensing the tension. She, you know, goes to, to change the, the topic. Uh, do you have some introductions to make to me? Um, he's looking at Hans and uh, Quinn. I've got Leandros over my shoulder, and I, maybe I kind of like 
it's kind of awkward, but I kind of reach my hand out to shake his hand, and I just say, I'm Hans Gregor. This was Leandros. (laughs) 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 Is there a way for me? It's funny, but it's like, picture him, like, not really being funny, but he understands that it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm laughing at it. Mm -hmm. Wait, does does Hans recognize that it's funny, or is he just like, this is just the thing I'm going to do? Yeah, well, I'm, well, I feel like he he understands if somebody else would laugh. Like it's just okay. an awkward situation meeting somebody for the first time while you're carrying a dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty standard for us, actually. Also, <laughs> all pretty much pretty well covered in blood. Um, a lot yeah. of it's dried. You've wiped some of it off, but Leandros was the one yeah. who like magically cleaned you, and he couldn't this time. I'm like we we had a rough time and. In the chapel, we just came out of it. That's kind of an understatement. And um, I'm sorry if you could ex- excuse me for a minute, but I have something to take care of. Oh, uh, hi, I'm Rackham. Oh, okay, sorry. And I, I kind of like turn around and I walk toward the. I'm assuming the chapel. Did they have like a graveyard next to it? <laughs> yeah, out front. Yeah, so I'm gonna walk toward that, and I'm picturing there being like a you know a discarded shovel somewhere in the area, and I'm just gonna like silently. I don't really want help from anybody. Just kind of bury Leandros over in the okay. chapel. I'll kind of walk up to uh, Sharkin and I'll be like, I'll like throw my hand down, shaking blood off of myself, and I'll hold it out. I say, uh, you can call me Quinn. I assuming you're the allies that we uh, we have to help us. Uh, I'm here to help Calico. If you are here to help her as well, then I'd be happy to. To see to you. Great. Yes, they've, I'll just they've slap uh, them across the shoulder. <laughs> and I'll say that they've they've helped me through a lot so far. So, yeah, these two are good. Very good. I I like go to like shake his hand, but I'm like, ooh, blood. I'm just like put my fist out instead. Come on, come on. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. And I just kind of shake his hand. I'm Rackham. I'm I'm Calico's brother. Yeah, I caught that. <laughs> I'm better now, though. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have to keep telling people that you're you're better. Okay. Okay. Because then they'll, they'll be a little confused, and there's a lot of explaining that comes after that. So, as I kind of step back from them and whatnot, I kind of just want to open my book and go to my page for Calico and mark down Rackham brother. Okay. That kind of noted. So then Sharkin asks you, Calico. He kind of like takes you to the side just a little bit, and it's like, how how much do you trust them? Um. Well, Hans is a. Uh, how do I put this slightly? Uh, as long as Hans trusts me, he won't kill me, but if that's broken, then we might have some problems. But we've been good for, like, a little bit now, so we should be okay. Ah, he's uh, a golden root. Yeah. Oh. For now. Very so. nice. Um, and the other we ran into, uh, he hasn't proven himself to be untrustworthy yet, and he's seen some shit that we've done, so... <laughs> He's got the look of somebody who's seen some shit. Yeah. Well, he hasn't tried to kill me yet, so fingers crossed. Okay. Well, I got your message. Then, then is dead. Yes. Good. Good work. If he hadn't betrayed us, he could have been a great thief. I mean, who knows? If he hadn't betrayed us, maybe, maybe none of all this would have happened. That certainly would have been um, uh, much more preferable. But I'm glad that that you took care of him will not be soon forgotten. Tell me, uh, tell me what you know about the, the silence here. What are we, what are we up against? 
Can you relay that information to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, I mean, yeah, if you just want to tell him everything yeah. you know. Okay. Yeah, basically just tell him everything we know and where we are with it. Yeah. Okay. But he takes that all in, kind of nodding and, and thinking, and then after, you know, take probably take a little bit, say everybody gets back together, so like Hans and, and Quinn are back in the in the group as well. He says, well, uh, I think we're, we're going to set up camp here. I think it will be easier for us to stay unnoticed than if we went into the, this town, into the, the Havenwood. I intend to, to take these, these bastards uh, by surprise. And then he kind of, for the first, kind of for the first time, loses that, that big grin that, he's, that he kind of always has on. And he say, you know, kind of looks to, to Calico and then and to Rackham and, and back to Calico. And he says, this is it. We're it. The silence tricked the seal holders into a meeting and ambushed them. Balok just barely managed to get a message out to me, but the time I got there, it was too late. This is all that remains of the clasp, and all that remains of the silence is here. It's going to end one way or another. Again, for, for the probably for the first time since you've known him, which is a long time, like he looks a little bit at a loss, like he's just not sure what to say or what to do. And that's when you, you notice that he's wearing something called the Four Hooks. It's an elaborate brooch that's holding his cloak on. It's actually four brooches like that are that weave together into one piece. Those four pieces, each one, represents one of the factions of the class. So traditionally, like each leader within the class would wear one in times of you know, severe need or when like uh, it was some type of like major guild war is going on they could basically turn over those classes to somebody to kind of give them command, like ultimate command of the group. And he's wearing it now because all the rest of the leaders are dead. And that's kind of a startling thing for you to see Calico. Rackham's gonna like go bend down to one knee, and he's just gonna look at Sharkin. It's okay, Master. Our king won't let us fall. He told me that. Okay. Like, stands up. Sharkin tries to give you a really supporting look, like, uh, mm, uh, good, good, that's, that's good, that sounds, that sounds positive, keep a, we've gotta, we've gotta keep a positive, uh, an out, outlook, um, and then he looks at Calico, yeah, kind of like, eyes a little bit wide, like, uh. And then I'm gonna take Sharkin aside, away from him again, and be like, uh, are things actually better, or since this is it, you had no other option but to bring him with you? No, he is, he is better. Uh, there's still there's still some things, uh, but he he actually has 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 earned his way uh, back to the street uh, about a year and a half ago. He was still being uh, closely watched in Barathus, which is why this is the first we're hearing about it. Uh, if I had known sooner, uh, I certainly would have uh, allowed you to go visit him. Uh, I would not have kept you apart on purpose. Okay. So he, back with the group, uh, says, like, well, so uh, what's the plan? We have this deal where we had to clear this town out. We clear this town out, and then we have to help with some negotiation. Our contact was going to help us uh, gain entry or give us uh, aid into the stronghold this uh silence, as, I, as you call them where they're located very good is there anything that that you'd like us to help you with 
uh, in the meantime, or anything that we can prepare while you're taking care of uh, this harmony? Um, Hans, like, I feel like has had enough time and is kind of walking back up and brushing, like, more dirt off of himself that's kind of caked <laughs> into the blood and everything. He knows he's a mess and it's kind of bothering him a little bit, but when he hears him say that, he just says, like, just whatever you can do to get us the hell out of here. Any ideas what that might be? Uh, maybe keep an eye out on the locals for sure. A lot of them are very shady. I understand you had some uh, had some fun in Charwood. Yeah, those people uh, were a good time. <laughs> you left uh, you left quite an impression on them. <laughs> good. Sharkin says like they're gonna stay in the chapel for now, like, sending out their runners to like kind of scout the area, and if they get a chance to like go scouting up towards the keep. I was gonna recommend if nobody else did, like see if they could scout ahead. Okay. He gives Calico a sending stone, and so that if while you're holding that, if you if you think of Sharkin, and it basically allows you then to talk, like it's a it's a longer range version of what the the Wayward Sons have. Cool. So he says, if you need me, I'll be wherever you need as soon as I can be. You know, report in as you need to. I will let you know what we find. Definitely. Where do you need me, Master? Uh, go with your sister. Uh, I think that would okay. be good. Okay. And I roll my eyes in. I'm just going to like start walking up behind <clears throat> her about the things that I've been doing and all the things I've been hearing about her. <laughs> Rack, you can handle yourself in a fight, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And he pull out the spear from behind his back. He's like, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa, I mean, look whoa. at this. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say if Hans was there, he's gonna start pushing. Kind of like put my hand in your chest, kind of like I did Leandros, but like kind of just telling you to settle down. When you do that, you notice I'm not wearing a shirt underneath my cloak, and you and when you touch my skin, it is like hot. It is like touching like the bottom of your computer hot. I'm like, what? I what is? Uh, whatever. <laughs> and then of, I step in and I'm like, okay, okay, let's just go. Okay. The weapons away. It's everything's fine. I was just showing off, you know. I mean. I want but your the, friends to know I'm cool, you know? I can handle myself. I just kind of want to wave my finger and say, I don't know if we're friends yet. Oh, we're <laughs> friends. Stop. <laughs> what is a not friend, then? Acquaintances. Acquaintances? I thought that was your name. <laughs> I kind of want to shoot you. <laughs> and I walk away. Please don't shoot him. Because <laughs> then I would have to kill you. I'm not going to really shoot him. Come on now. <laughs> Hey, okay. so who was that guy that you were carrying? I'm gonna ask Hans that. He's like a friend of yours? Is that why you buried him? Were you guys like really close? Like, was he your friend? You could say we were close. But we weren't in that game. Hold on, I only have two ears and I heard two things. But I can only process one thing at a time. I'm not surprised. <laughs> hey, be nice. So, you first, I pointed the big guy. I pointed at Hans. I said we were close, but we weren't really great friends. And now I point at Quinn. All right, your turn. So let's play the quiet game. I walk away, Thomas. Okay. <laughs> I, just say, I just say, look, all you need to know is that he gave his life fighting in our mission. No, oh, he must have been a good guy then. Hopefully you're prepared to do the same. I mean, come on. You know, if you're friends with my sister, I will I will fight as hard as possible. And don't worry. Um, I, I Never mind. Yeah, I, will I wasn't worried until you said don't worry. Now I'm worried. <laughs> Han, says, Han says, well, I trust your sister, so I... I guess Look, I I'm not really supposed to speak about him, but you know he's he's gonna be okay. He said it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. All right. Who said that? Who are you talking about? I'm not supposed to talk about him, so I'm not gonna tell you. Duh. Talk about who? It, 
never mind. What does his name rhyme with? <laughs> Well, I don't know his. I don't know his don't real. <laughs> Look, man, just trust me, okay? I know what I'm doing. All right. Wait, what? You see, Rack? I'm like, turn around. Okay. All right. We're good. I put my hand on his shoulder, and I <laughs> and I'm like again surprised a little bit by how hot he is again. All right, man. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> and I like look over his shoulder, and I just say like, you too. <laughs> 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 Now I feel like I think it's a little funny. Like I think he actually might be crazy. And I look at Hans and I'll say he's mostly harmless unless, well, he's mostly harmless. I know. Just don't feed him after midnight. Or <laughs> <laughs> you head back to Havenwood. You still have your room at the Fluffy Architect. If you want to uh, get cleaned up or rest, uh, you probably would. By the time you get there, it's a, it's well into the night, so you would. At the very least, while well, like you're going to spend the rest of the night there to rest up and clean up. Yeah, we can do that. So after a full night's rest, you get half of your maximum HP back. I wanted to wash wash off real good, and make sure I got all the blood off and whatnot. Sure. I would. I'd say maybe a, occasionally he has it in the middle of washing, like his hands. Like he, he like has like a little shake in his hand, but then he like kind of clenches his fist and it kind of goes away and subsides a little bit, and then continues washing. Okay. Where are we supposed to be going next? Well, Zebulon gave you the two tasks, and the second one is to get the blessing of the harmony. I would like to use the little bit of gold we just got to get one item good that I already know I want. Yeah, what do you want? I think it was the, the potion of like slipperiness. Oh, oil of uh, slipperiness, right? Pretty much yeah. movement. Yeah. Uh, 480 gold. Sweet. Okay, so it's morning, you get your, you know, have a little bite to eat down in the common room. So what would you like to do? I want to follow my sister. I defer to her judgment. What all did we, like, learn about them? They're, they're in town, aren't they? Yes, it's a, it's a, kind of like an elite society within the town. Like, the richest, most powerful people belong to it, and that a lot of them are vampires or um, incubi or succubi. Uh, Hans and Calico, I'm not gonna lie to you. I have no idea how to go about doing. I just say, look, we we have to do what we have to do. So, I mean, like, I mean, do we just like walk up, knock on the door, say, hey? I mean, that's basically what we did at the chapel. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if I you guys want, I can talk to them. Hopefully, these guys are and gals are uh, a little bit more friendly than the last folk that we. Met. I mean, I can talk to them if you want. Okay, I, I actually yeah. am pretty good at talking to people. I got that record. It's like a little puppy dog. Always excited to help. Yeah, but I really can help, though. Are Not you fam- familiar with the harmony? Like music? Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I look at Calico and expect her to just lead us to where to go, because out of this bunch, she's the smartest one I know. Zebulon did tell you the harmony own an estate in town. It's part inn, part bordello, part casino, part nightclub. Uh, Many of the members of the group spend most of their time there, and some of the most influential actually live there. Typically, people who are not on the list don't spend a lot of time there, but it is technically a business open to the public. We just go walk in, knock on the door, say, hey, we're looking for your blessing. Okay. I mean, yeah, I feel like we should just... I'm going to go, yeah, we should just go check it out. Just go and see what happens. Kind of explain our... I mean, I guess we the only 
fear we need to have is if they're connected to uh, all the other crazy people in that other town. But that's kind of an issue. I mean, you're pretty much safe to assume everybody here is going to be crazy or something, you know? This is true. I mean, I don't know. We we seem to just kind of walk up and walk into things without plans anyway, so why stop now? <laughs> yeah, look, guys, I got this, okay? I can talk my way into anything. Okay. So the Harmony's Sanctum, for lack of a better word, is an establishment known as Heaven's End. It's in the north side of the city. Um, it's one of the largest buildings in Havenwood. At 10 stories, it is certainly the tallest. In addition to housing many of the, the members of the Harmony itself, it's also an inn, a tavern, bordello, casino, bank, etc. It looks like it was like built in a mansion. Like It started off as a mansion at one point. So it's, it's a little bit set off from the rest of its neighbors, almost as if they didn't want to build too close to Heaven's End. And so there's a nice almost like a half block of gardens that surround the building on all sides. That's very, even given like the kind of the shadowy dark of sorrow more, the, the gardens are very lush. It's obviously a lot of like low light kind of plants um, that are growing there, which also leads to a lot of like really shadowy areas around the building. The front of the building is up again about half a block um, back from the street. That walkway that leads from the street to the establishment takes you through kind of like one of those little, like like a tunnel of trees where they come on kind of like arcing up over the road. The first three floors look like a pretty typical like plantation style mansion. Uh, then the, you know, the large like wraparound porches, the colonnades, uh, big windows, all that, all that jazz. As you make your way up that walkway, like through kind of like the tunnel of trees, as you get into the front yard area of the building, you can see the rest of it kind of coming up over the gardens and get a better look than you could from the street. From the fourth floor up, the rest of the building looks more like uh, like a ziggurat, like Mayan style. Standing at the the foot of the steps to that wraparound porch at the, the front of the mansion, a pair of men in blue suits, like blue that is so dark it's almost black. Um, and they stand with their hands clasped in front of them. Behind them, there was a number of people like kind of milling about on the porch, um, on the on the various porches, um, the ones that you can see from here. Everybody is dressed exquisitely. There are fancy and voluminous gowns, extravagant tailcoats. If you're thinking that old Southern gentleman style, uh, Anne Rice's interview with the vampire type aesthetic, just lean into that. Okay, so Quintus is like the only one that's even remotely close to blending in with the trench coat and kind of well, you all bought those uh, fancy clothes when you first came to Havenwood. So let, well, let's do a quick, like, what what are you all wearing? Be as detailed or like, as not as you would like. I think mine was very similar to, like, what I kind of already had. I think it was a darker black, but it had, like, a silver trim or lining to it, for sure. And that's about it. I mean, nothing, nothing too flashy. I would say Hans is wearing, like, like these people are kind of in their southern clothes or whatever, but he's kind of trending more toward, like, what the modern for that era trendy would be, so it's kind of like a spin on that. I mean, he has, like, long black pants and shined-up shoes and, like, a, a white, like, more, like, puffier, stylish, because he, he's kind of, like, peacock. He wants people to notice him and think he's fashionable, just because I think that, like, feeds into his ego. Sure. And colored suits are 
pretty common here. So do, what did you, you said you had black pants? Is that like you want a black suit? Or if you're peacocking, do you want something? I would say black pants, but like a, it's like a red or a blue suit. Okay. Just looks fancy. I don't know. I don't know how it's yeah, That's fine. That's enough. I like peacocking and fancy. <laughs> so Calico. I think she would have on a, like, a corset top and then not leggings underneath, but, like, pants underneath. Um, and then, like, a not super hoop skirt, but, like, a sort of wider skirt to okay. blend in. Um, and then the option to abandon said skirt if necessary. I take that. And so I do think you do you do have a little bit of time to get, you know, get something for Rackham as well. So what are you rocking? Well, I imagine they try to dress me up nice. Um, they try. How successful are they? Well, moderately successful, except like this is kind of me in real life, except not as extreme. But like you know, like a button-up shirt, but the like the first three buttons are unbuttoned. Okay. Um, I'd see a jacket too, and he's just kind of like the whole time he's like, uh, like you know, <laughs> not liking it. Mm. Don't worry, Rackham. It's just for this thing. I, I feel like I can't breathe. That's uh, the point. Uh, okay. All right. I, I'm I'm cool. I'm cool. All right. Uh, uh, then he's like got like the um, thing that goes around the waist, like a lot of guys like in fancy coats wear. A cummerbund. Cummerbund. Yes, he's got that like yellow. It's like okay. the first thing he picked out. <laughs> um, and then just like black, you know, suit, black pants. Okay. Uh, oh, and like um, <laughs> just the kind of kind of it's funny. Uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, like at the bottom of the sleeves, but it's like all poofed out. Yeah. Like what Austin Powers will wear, mm-hmm. you know that that at the end of the sleeves. Yes. Gotcha. Um, okay. Can, can I just say one more thing about my outfit? No. Oh, okay. That's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Not wearing pants. He, or he is wearing pants, but he's wearing the, the like the tight pants with the socks all the way up, like fancy shoes. Okay. Like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. You you saw? Did you ever see Django Unchained? Yeah. Okay. Remember the blue suit that he wore? Is that what you're wearing? Yeah, but not blue. Right. Okay. okay. I like. That's okay. <laughs> Okay. It looks ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Also, when we get close to the front door, I'm gonna do a thing. Okay. How close? Because right now you are kind of like at the stairs that lead up to the porch. The porch wraps around the building. There's also the the large double doors leading into the establishment, and there are two human men standing at the bottom of the stairs wearing basically all black suits. As you approach, they just uh, just stare at you. All right, he's going to walk up to the guards. He's going to, like, push his way through. Ah, oh, good day, good sirs. He's going to, like, put his hand out. As soon as you go to walk past them, they just they shift to block your way. Yes, as you see, uh, my name is Rackham. This is my sister and her two friends, Hazel and Greg. And we are invited. And I put my hand out to shake. The one on the left says, do you have an auspice? Oh, of course, my good man. And I go to, like, reach in my jacket, and I kind of, like, want to make myself, like, trip a little bit. And when I go to do that, I put my hand on his shoulder, and he's going to trust in me. What are you rolling for that? What are you doing? <laughs> Basically, I'm casting friends on him. Okay. It's called trust in me, though. Right. Okay. Roll to cast. Uh, I believe this is with charisma. Yeah. Right? Looks like it. Okay. Yep. Eleven. That is good. Okay. So this, yeah, this basically is just person you tossed counts you as a friend until they take damage uh, or you or you prove otherwise. 
So he says, oh, Rackham, you know, it's, you know, it's so good to see you, but like, come, come on, man. You know, we can't let you in unless, unless Not you even us for, the auspice. For Greg, and I point at Quintus, or Hazel, and I point at Hoppus. You know I can't let you in. Definitely not with three guests if you don't have your auspice. Oh, okay, you're right. You're right. I, I'm so sorry. I, 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 it seems I did misplace it. Because you are successfully like engaging kind of a friendly conversation with his partner, the guard on the right drops the kind of like stoic, like stare into the distance bodyguard kind of act and actually then takes like a look at the group and suddenly says, wait a second, Sydney, do you, do you know who this is? I think, I think these are the newcomers. And you can kind of hear the way he said it, that he has a, he put like a capital N on newcomers. Uh, can I check for trap? <laughs> <laughs> what are you, what are you doing to check for Sorry. traps? Um, well, I just notice the like change in the inflection and like treatment of it, and it makes me super suspicious. And so like I'm looking at them and I'm looking at the area around them and like behind them. Okay. You don't see anything that looks like a, like a physical trap. People are milling about on the porch. Um, you know, people are going inside the those big double doors. Like kind of all those areas you would expect to be some sort of like trap or pr- pressure plate. There are people walking around. Okay. So I guess as he says that, he said it to the guy I'm talking to, right? Right. I would like, Sydney, you've known me for years. You know we're not newcomers. Come on. Sydney is now looking at your friends and he said, I don't know, Rack. I'm like, they, it sounds like the, that group that, that caused all that trouble down in Charwood. I mean, those. They're peasants down there. Everybody knows that. Well, right, but the, those peasants have have caused a lot of trouble for people, and if just if these are I, the ones that that were able to kind of put them in their place, even for a minute, like that would—that's why everybody's talking about them. But like, if you say I that's know. not them, I mean, I—I I mean, I was Wait. actually gonna—I was gonna approach and just say, uh, pardon my friend here, he's unusual. Um, Careful. We are the newcomers that you probably are speaking of. It's not hard to figure out that we're not from here. But we do seek information and some knowledge, and this seems like the place to be at right now. And it seems like a really fun party. I mean, (laughs) it's all the rage. Not Sydney. Says, yeah, God, you know, I I thought it was you guys. This is is exciting. Everybody's been talking about you since you got to town. And uh, uh, if if Sydney knows you, then uh, he can vouch for you. I bet bet we could get you in. Give me, give me just a minute, and let me, uh, let me go, let me go check on something. He heads up the up the stairs and into the mansion, and Sydney looks super confused. Can I try like start making a note of like like exit points or locations of where to like try to leave quickly? Do you want to make like physical notes? I mean, if that's doable with like being subtle about it, I mean, I would try to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can you can take out your little notebook and make notes. I don't think it's. It's not, like, something that you're going to be able to hide from, like, everybody, but... I'll do that a little bit. Okay. Can I try to pickpocket Sydney to get <laughs> to see if he has an auspice or whatever it is we're supposed to have from somebody else? You can try. I'll do this thing. I kind of see what she's trying to do, and I'll be like, Oh, Sydney, I want to show you something. I mean, and I start, like, distracting him a little bit. <laughs> Does that give me advantage on my roll for pickpocket? He can, 
he can aid you aid when you help or hinder somebody have a bond with roll plus your bond with them so i don't think we actually ever actually made bonds but you two definitely have one as siblings um so that'd be plus one on a 10 plus they get a plus one to whatever they're trying to do or you can hinder but like this is not hinder so on a seven to nine you also expose yourself to danger retribution or cost <laughs> that's a risk right there so go ahead and roll aid oh okay uh 11 okay Okay, Calico, so this is a Tricks of the Trade roll for you, so that's plus dex, and then add a plus one on top of that. Okay. That's 11. Okay, so tell me what what that looks like. Okay, so I would then stealthily sneak over to the right side and, like, try to check his pockets for whatever, and then Mm -hmm. sneak back to where I was. Sure. I'm watching her doing this all the way while making my notes of the exit. Okay. Oh, sure. In his pockets, you find a small little brass key and uh, 22 gold pieces. So I got a brass um, key. I'm going to leave yes. gold because I don't want to steal his gold. Well, I'll take a little bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a thief. Yeah. I, I'd say, okay. I'd say um, talking to Sydney and like uh-huh. telling him a story, and I'll end it as soon as she's done. That's my sister, you know. And it has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> what? Who's your sister? What? I just point up. Well, she is, duh. Yeah. I mean, can't you see the can't resemblance? You? Yeah, come on. She, We've been for the, was, how long? Now? Was she the one in the story? <sighs> I mean, I made an appearance. She's, I mean, were you even paying attention? Let's say she can't be the one that fell off the cliff. Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> she's very um, acrobatic. Let me look at her. I mean, she's a tiefling. Come on, like myself. <laughs> and I know people that can do things that help when you fall off cliffs. All right, you guys. I don't... Did you get all that down, Greg? <laughs> and I look at Quintus. So about that time, the the other guy comes back, uh, back outside and kind of down the steps. Um, and he says, "Yeah, I can, I can get you guys in. Um, actually, I can get you past, uh, right past all the the lower echelons. Get you up to the top floors. You said you want to talk to some important people. They're going to be up there." That's great news. Sounds good to me. Sounds like a trap to me. See, I told you all. I could have said that. I'm so sorry, Sydney, that I forgot Rack my him. presentation. Rack him. Don't do that, that again. <laughs> Don't do that again. <laughs> Don't what? If you're if you're going to do that again, you got to let everybody know ahead of time. Let you know of what? You guys are just having this conversation right in front of the, the guards. Exactly. No, no, no. 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 <laughs> this was like, this was like <laughs> whispered shush. Okay. The guard from the left, who has now in- introduced himself as Harlan, you know, he says he's, whenever you guys are ready, he can take you up. Be ready. Be uh, good, if this is your If this is your first time, it's uh can be a little intense. A lot of people are going to want to talk to you, so you're going to have to probably tell your story a couple of times, but it's going to be totally worth it. Totally. Lead on, please. We've only been waiting here. Who were the two bodyguards? It was Hartland and who? Sydney. Yeah, Hartland and and Sydney. Once inside, the hallways are are all very dark, much darker than you would like. There are some lights here and there, but for the most part, like this, it's got a a very, very dark kind of atmosphere. You walk past a number of rooms that are, I mean, just like drowning in thick blue velvet upholstery curtains and pillows and overstuffed chairs there's definitely a blue theme going on in here the people inside as you go past these rooms are again that height of of what was you know fashion probably 
several hundred years ago in Aria. Very gone with the wind kind of kind of stuff as far as we would consider. And as you go by, like each room is kind of like a different like tableau, a different scene is playing out for you. Some of them are basically like straight out of like uh, Caligula. Some of them are like, you know, just a very fine dining next to like a room where there's a bunch of people like drinking tea. Um, that's next to a room where it's just, you know, maybe 20 or so just naked bodies all like piled together, writhing. And that's right next to a room where, you know, a bunch of guys wearing smoking jackets or got their cigars and, you know, some sipping some kind of dark liquid. It's basically just kind of, uh, just each room is another version of somebody's like decadence and vice and, and earthly, you know, delights of all kinds. He eventually starts taking up like up stairways. So the first three levels are these kind of like these twisting, turning corridors where like rooms of all different types along. Once you start getting higher up, um, it seems like entire levels are dedicated to certain activities, to certain of these things that you've seen below as well. Uh, that is to say, that it's, it's just like a lot to take in. There's a lot happening. Um, and again, kind of, this is probably even stopping to get some, some clothes for Rackham. This is before noon. And there is some like, there is like, there's some shit going down in this place. Um, it's a very uh, eyes wide shut scenario, isn't it? Oh, for, there's there's definitely some eyes wide shut stuff going down. There, there are definitely a few times where Rackham stops and stares. <laughs> I gotta nudge him along. Go. <laughs> On what is either the the seventh or the eighth floor? Um, it was kind of hard to. To, to keep track at that point. Harlan leads you up to a, a pair of dark wooden double doors. He pushes through them into a large ballroom. A dance floor that's about 100 feet by 100 feet kind of like dominates the center of the room. A dozen pair of dancers are, are moving about kind of in, in perfect uh, synchronicities, flowing more gracefully than water through a dance that you've never seen and to a song that you've never heard. There's a small orchestra that is to say, it's probably only about uh, 40 people playing in a pit on the left side of the room. That's providing you know, all the music for, for the ballroom. Tables and chairs um, surround the other three sides of the dance floor. There is a kind of like a second floor that opens up and kind of overlooks the dance floor area and this dining area. There's people milling about on both levels. Um, it looks like it's kind of, they're to that like the after dinner cocktails kind of point of the evening. So a lot of people like dancing. There's a lot of people just kind of like laughing and, and drinking. Again, some of the most elegant and rich looking clothing you've ever seen on some of the most beautiful people you've ever seen. At the far end of this room, um, opposite the doors that you just walked in, a small dais runs the length of the room, and on it are nine high-backed chairs. They're wrought of gold, upholstered in deep ocean blue, and six of the, the chairs are currently occupied. Harlan walks you around the dance floor to the front of the dais and to the center chair, which is occupied by a very tall, um, somewhat severe-looking elven man. He's got long black hair that falls kind of just straight and smooth down over his shoulders, a little bit more than halfway to, like, his waist. He is not wearing, like, a, a coat, but he's got that, like, that silk shirt with the ruffles at the neck and a vest that is a dazzling, almost iridescent red. Harland gives this man uh, a little half-bow. Demetrius, uh, I, I beg your pardon. Um, 
I brought you uh, a token of my admiration for you. Uh, may this gift find you uh, many long nights of happiness. I present to you the newcomers. Kind of bows his way from in between the, the four of you and the seated man. And he just kind of looks down at you for a while. I uh, I step up forth. Uh, yes, Demetrius, I am Rackham. These are my companions, my sister, uh, Calico, and uh, her friends, uh, Hazel and Greg. And I point at them. It is a pleasure to meet your acquaintance, sir. We've heard so much about you. Demetrius steeples his fingers in front of him and says, Is that so? Well, we are this evening very graced by the presence of such notable and laudable company. You are, in fact, the newcomers who braved and defeated Hell House and escaped the wicked grasp of those Charwood fanatics. When you say it in that order, it sounds pretty good, but... Which, which one of those things is positive and which one disappoints you? <laughs> if you are not careful, y'all might make quite a name for yourselves. Well, haven't we already? <laughs> truer words. Truer words. Let it never be said that hospitality was ever lacking in heaven's end. When you have contented yourself, uh, we can speak of the business I am sure you have. Until then, please partake of our food and our drink. Enjoy any of the, the many earthly delights we offer. And as he says that a couple of servers, um, you know, waiters basically kind of come up um, and they gesture that you'd like to a table that they have already begun to set behind you. Can I test any of the food and or drink for poison? Or would I be able to, like, identify it somehow? I feel like to like to do a good poison test, you almost need, like, a full, like, alchemy setup. But I would bet, like, you are familiar with the taste of some poisons. So I could see maybe, like, Calico, like, taking, like, like, a teeny little bite of something and, like, trying to suss out if there's any, any of those weird flavors. And then, like, taking, like, another tiny bite of something else. And just kind of like nitpicking around the plates, and like you're taking like a little sip of wine, and like Chug something, it. something like that. Yeah. Okay. So you are checking for poisons. Yep. Poison okay. checking. Are you all sitting down to to eat then? Well, I feel like we can't be super rude and be like we're going straight to business. <laughs> so I tell them, uh, let's eat a bite, and then we will talk business. Okay. Well, the servers lead you over to a table and get you all set up. The The meal that they bring out starts with a creamy chestnut soup. There is crusty hot bread, greens dressed with apples and pine nuts. Then there is a course of lamprey pie, honeyed ham, buttered carrots, white beans and bacon, and ending with a roast swan uh, that's stuffed with mushrooms and oysters. It is... Uh, by far the most extravagant meal you've ever seen. Um, and probably as those later courses are coming out, like you're struggling a little bit. One of these courses would be typically what you would eat for a meal. And you're on, you know, like course four at that did point. I, I say, did I have to eat? I didn't want to. 
No, you don't have to. Um, oh, okay. Because yeah. I just woke up and I'm not super hungry when I wake up. Well, it is no, it is it is close to noon, like getting closer to noon. Um, so it's not a super unusual time to eat, um, but it is an unusual amount of food um, and an un, like an unusual fare for you. So yeah, I'll just hold off for a second. Okay. When they see that you are not eating, they they one of the servers comes over and asks if there's if there's something wrong with the food, if they can bring you something else. I'm just not quite done. Sorry. A couple of minutes later, one of the servers comes back with a wooden tray. She has it kind of angled, so the side that's closer to her is down near her waist, and the side that is farther away kind of comes up just above her shoulder. It's a pretty good-sized tray, about three feet by three feet. Pardon me, sir. If food is not what you hunger for, perhaps there's something else we could interest you in. And she turns to reveal the the other side of the tray to you, and it is just lined with rows of slender glass tubes filled with a variety of, of liquids. We have a wide menu of barbiturates, opioids, amphetamines, and hallucinogenics. I could put together a sampling tray if you would like. Uh, um, no. They you know, bow and are very as gracious as they can be, and they continue to, like, with each course, they still just bring you out a plate, and then they'll take the, the full plate back when you, you know, when the next one comes out. I say very audibly, uh, oh, Greg is a vegetarian, please don't be insulted. Don't speak for me. Wow. Trying to, you know, help you out here. All right. <laughs> no. When they clear the the last dish of, of food, they bring out um, like small little cordials of a, a little dessert type drink. And then the other the the lead waiter of this little group says, "You know, we, our, our staff is around the room. If you need anything else for the evening or in the foreseeable future? Please, please let us know. Um, otherwise, we will we will leave you to 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 settle your meal." Well, Hans is very full because I feel like he ate like every protein that was available. <laughs> I'm still like, just making uh, notes in my book. Uh, then we tell Demetrius we're rather we're ready to discuss business now. He he comes over to, to your table to, to sit down. Let it never be said that Demetrius Truth was a fool in his business. Unless I have missed my mark, we have come here hoping for a favor, but. I would also venture to have no idea what it will cost you, or even what to offer. It's not wrong. Gonna, <laughs> I, I gotta give him a looking of like, yeah. <laughs> so he, yeah, so he, he chuckles a little bit at that. He says, I might, uh, if I were feeling especially bold, uh, even venture to guess you might not even know exactly what you have come to procure. What? Tell, us so, what, tell us what you know. I'll say, as you know, we are newcomers. Of course. And you very clearly like to call us. <laughs> then, uh, let us let us not play this particular game. I will offer you two options. One, let us taste of your sanguine gifts. It has been a long time since we have tasted claret, not befouled by despair. If you do so, I will grant you what is in my power to grant. Or, if you prefer a little sport, uh, perhaps you'd be willing to entertain us 
with a little martial competition. Uh, should you emerge victorious uh, from our little contest of arms, I will hear your request and will grant you what is in my power to. So he's saying we have to let them suck our blood or we have to do some sort of fight club to get our favor? You got it in one. Thank you for joining in our wild endeavors. And thank you to Kevin McLeod for the great music. We are very excited to be bringing you the final arc of the Shadows campaign. We finished playing the campaign about a year ago, and I can't begin to explain how much we have enjoyed reliving it as we get to share it with all of you. Your support, the fact that you're listening to this now, and all the great messages and questions you've had for us are treasured moments that we will keep close for a long time. If you're excited for what's ahead, have been enjoying our adventures so far, or just feel like chatting, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Wild Endeavors on Twitter and Instagram. Reviews and ratings on your favorite podcast platform are the best way to bring new ears to our endeavors. But more than anything, I hope you share these adventures with a friend. A good story becomes even better when it's shared with someone you care about. So come back next week so we can share another story with you. So you guys are really good at making new friends. I just want to... <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you're always There's trying to... You, like, just yanked your spear out at us. I wasn't, like, pointing at anybody. He was just flailing around. Yeah. yeah. Doing on. There. Come on. <laughs> Those yawns are awesome. <laughs> He has the symbol that connects him to four pieces from all the dead leaders. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> Sorry, go on. Leave me alone. <laughs>